If you know just one thing about Friedrich Schleiermacher, it might be that he supposedly relegates the doctrine of the Trinity to an appendix in his systematics. Well, good news, because you're about to learn a second thing that will reframe and improve everything you thought you knew about that first thing, about Schleiermacher as Trinitarian theologian. Welcome to the second and concluding week of the official Love, Rinse, Repeat series on the work of Friedrich Schleiermacher, Deus Ex Schleiermacher. Schleiermacher and the Trinity with Shelley M. Poe. This is Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Dark and Jung land by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his, a minister in the Uniting Church in Australia. My guest today, the aforementioned Shelley Poe, is a visiting professor at Illiff School of Theology and theologian in residence at Safe Harbor United Church of Christ, Clinton, Missouri. We are discussing her excellent, illuminating and all-around helpful book, Essential Trinitarianism, Schleiermacher as Trinitarian Theologian, part of the TNT Clark Explorations in Reform Theology series. Uh, Shelley also edited the volume Schleiermacher and Sustainability, and is authoring the forthcoming The Constructive Promise of Schleiermacher's Theology, which is part of Bloomsbury TNT Clark's uh, series Rethinking Theologies. So really, I mean, how could we do any better in terms of guests as we conclude Deus Ex Schleiermacher? Shelley Poe, welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we're, we're today we're going to talk about your book, Essential Trinitarianism, Schleiermacher as Trinitarian Theologian with T&T Clark, part of their Explorations in Reformed Theology series. Uh, but maybe just before we get specifically to the book, like I guess what, what started you being interested in, in Schleiermacher? Like, you know, why write about Schleiermacher? You know, isn't he, if I'm listening to the right people, isn't he the problem that we're all trying to, you know, undo? Like didn't he set us on a, you know, wouldn't have Bart been able to write only like two books if he didn't have to deal with Schleiermacher? Like, you know, what, what, <laughs> why, why Schleiermacher, I guess, as, as a broader topic before maybe particularly, you know, entering this particular um, project about his Trinitarianism? Yeah, your comment reminds me, I had a friend in um, at UVA where I did my PhD work, and she said, oh yeah, Schleimacher's great. Without him, we wouldn't have had Bart. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's um, but So I went to Princeton Theological Seminary for my Master of Divinity, and had a great experience there, learned a lot. Um, but as you know, it's a bastion of Bartian studies, um, and so I was sort of introduced to Schleiermacher from the, the back end, as it were. Um, I heard all of the, <laughs> the stories about Schleiermacher and uh, all of the bad things that he did and contributed to um, for the, the next 200 years, you know, and how Bart set him straight and all of that sort of thing. Um, so I love an underdog and... Um, <laughs> So being at, at PTS for three years made me think, you know what, maybe I should actually read Schleiermacher and, and see what he has to say. Um, I tried to take a Schleiermacher seminar actually with Bruce McCormick, but it didn't fit into my schedule. Um, so, so when I got to uh, UVA for my PhD work, I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Schleiermacher. And there was a course being offered um, by Paul Jones there. Um, and what I discovered was like, 
lots of the things I had heard were not true. <laughs> uh, actually read him carefully. Um, so, so that was part of my, um, my intellectual history that led me to Schleiermacher. Um, the other part is that, you know, Trinitarian uh, studies have been growing mm. and there seems to be an increasing sense that we need to think the doctrine of the Trinity again mm. and see, uh, see what might result from thinking a little bit differently um, about the Trinity. Um, so when I had Schleiermacher who relegates the doctrine of the Trinity to an appendix um, and then, you know, this interest in Trinitarian theology, um, I, I thought I would bring, bring the two together and see what we couldn't uh, see if we read Schleiermacher charitably and, um, and with the Trinity in mind. Yeah, that's that's great, and I think it's interesting that you said that there about how like you know we're in this time of time where we're like we need to rethink the Trinity or, or think you know rethink how we think about the Trinity and kind of what you you point out really is like Schleiermacher's like you know that that appendix um, even if just taken on its own is kind of very much the call to do that right it's like hey maybe we should like like maybe we need fresh work here um, you know far from like oh we should just forget all this stuff to the side it was it was almost that that call of like what's going on now like you know maybe we should just, you know, actually think this again from the ground up or, or, or see what can come once we kind of clear away some of the, um, some of the baggage. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, reformers had done it before him, but, you know, he's a couple hundred years later and says, look, we still don't have a Protestant reformulation of the Trinity. Hmm. You know, can we, can we do this? <laughs> um, and, and so he, you know, he says he lays out some preliminary steps, um, of his own, um, and I think that that call is now, yeah, being heeded by by contemporary thinkers. Mm. So, so the book then, so to say, you've got this, you want to reach Schleiermacher and and, you, and you're aware of this kind of call, you know, this rethinking of the Trinity. So as you kind of start to form this book together, I guess, what was your, you know, the overall hope of the book that, that you know, that when this gets put on the shelves, what, what, what are you hoping this maybe achieves, you know, in light of both of those kind of uh, interrelated conversations? Yeah. Um, so I really, I want people to walk away from the book thinking, wow, Schleimacher is actually a lot more faithful to Christian traditions than I thought he was. Um, so a little bit of rehabilitation of the interpretation of Schleimacher. Um, but I also want to try to wedge the door open a little bit on what it means to be a Trinitarian theologian. So, you know, we have this idea that what it means to do Trinitarian theology is to talk about the doctrine of the imminent Trinity and the doctrine of the economic Trinity. And we get those straight and then, you know, voila, you're a Trinitarian thinker. <laughs> Great job. Um, yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm being a little glib here, but, um, but there is a very mm. well-trodden road in Trinitarian doctrine. Um, and so I want to, I want to think with people and say, well, do we have any room for diversity in Trinitarian thought? Is there any way that one could still be a faithful Trinitarian theologian, um, but not agree with every jot and tittle that, that went into Chalcedon or went into other creeds or formulations that are important for your tradition? Yeah, thank you for that. I think that 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 is really like you start that off from really the beginning that the sh it's the shape of, of, of Schleiermacher's theology, uh, you know, as much as any particular words, as you say, or any ad adherence to, I'm going to hit that John Tittle, that, that really give it that Trinitarian shape. 
Um, so I want to come maybe more specifically to the Trinitarianism you know, and, and your arguments there in just a second. But um, one thing that you kind of almost recommend in, in your book is to read, if, if you're reading the Christian faith, you know, Schleiermacher's uh, big systematics, to read it backwards, um, more or less, read it backwards. Um, can you talk about kind of how you kind of came to that and, and why you think there's, uh, there's benefit into that approach? Yeah, um, so this is not my idea, not an original idea to do this. Actually, it was Schleiermacher's idea. Um, he wrote in uh, his letters to Dr. Luca, well, you know, he was getting a lot of criticism of the work um, because of the order that he, he put the thing into where people thought the Trinity was an appendix rather than the conclusion. Um, and so he, he was writing this open letter and said, you know what, maybe I should have uh, started at the beginning or started at the end and moved toward the beginning. And if I had done that, I would have started with love and wisdom the divine attributes of love and wisdom. Um, and so my recommendation to read him backwards is to say, yeah, we've gotten so hung up on the introduction and the first part that by the time you get to the latter half of the work, you know, you have so many caveats and conditions and, you know, he's such a precise thinker. You have all of this in your mind that by the end, you know, it's, it sort of loses some of its force. He thought it was a climactic ending, <laughs> but I think for many readers, we start with this much energy and then sort of <laughs> go down. So, um, so by starting at the end and sort of uh, highlighting the, the concrete and then moving toward the abstract, instead of beginning with the abstract in the, in the beginning of the work and moving toward the concrete, um, I think that that can help readers to sort of um, let go of some precon preconceived notions about what Schleimacher is doing um, and encounter Christ and the church first uh, before they get to um, the more abstract things he has to say about eternity and omniscience and omnipotence and all of those. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And it probably does get away from, you know, a lot of the time, especially just like, okay, you just basically read the start of it because it's the method that is the important thing. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and whatever else he actually has to say about constructing a systematic theology, that's, you know, by the by, but yeah, so I think that you're right, that helps. And, and, you know, often in that early, those, those later bits on, on love and wisdom, it's, you know, it is quite um, precise and, and concise, but you can get to like, oh, wow, that's a, you know, a bold statement. But as you say, um, I kind of mentioned to you when we were setting up this interview that I'd been like part of a like little Schleiermacher reading group online. And we've been reading that those love and wisdom sections. And we just kept making jokes of like, you know, like in any other ones, in any other person's hand, that's like just a very reformed, um, you know, um, within the bounds of confessional <laughs> um, theology statement kind of thing. It doesn't like, you know, way less surprising stuff or that you'd be like, Oh, such a lib, you know, you'd be like, <laughs> there's a lot more there that's like, Oh yeah, that could, see that being said yeah. by people, which is said very well yeah yeah um so another interesting thing so you write early in the book you, you, you kind of connect Schleiermacher and Calvin on a few particular points and you know putting Schleiermacher in this reformed tradition and, and specifically you kind of talk about them both being anti-speculative theologians and, and how this anti-speculative nature really really impacts Schleiermacher's rejection of imminent trinitarianism and, and and then he's also his desire to ground as much as possible in the redemptive union of um, the divine and human in Christ. Uh, and like, you know, again, these seem like pretty decent reasons 
to, you know, question, you know, that we need to necessarily adhere to every jot and tittle um, of Chalcedonian or that we have to kind of um, break up the approach to the Trinity into economic and imminent and then, you know, or using the Trinity as some sort of shibboleth that, you know, proves that you're like a legit Christian because you can confess the, the Trinity. Um, so can you just talk a bit about, you know, that, that connection that you draw between Schleiermacher and Calvin, Schleiermacher yeah. and Calvin and the, uh, and, and uh, around that anti-speculatism? Yeah. Yeah, so um, sometimes uh, when people want to criticize Schleiermacher's work on the Trinity, um, they want to say, oh, he just throws, he just throws it out, you know, he just throws out the doctrine of the Trinity, and it's an appendix, it doesn't even deserve mention, this sort of thing. And, um, and they don't, I think, take heed of the reasons why Schleiermacher is critical of the doctrine of the imminent Trinity um, as he has received it. So what I'm doing in that Calvin Schleiermacher um, chapter is to show that actually Schleiermacher isn't just being extra modern and just throwing things out willy nilly. He actually is part of a reformed tradition that wants to think, at least with Calvin, very carefully about of the bounds of theological knowledge. So having some kind of theological humility to say, okay, how do we make theological claims? And does the doctrine of the imminent Trinity actually uh, come, is it a legitimate process by which we get this doctrine? Um, so he'll look at the, the big thing, you know, reason, experience, tradition, scripture, the, the good old Wesleyan quadrilateral. He's going to use all of that. Um, but then he's going to say, well, is the doctrine of the imminent trinity actually clearly presented in those sources? Well, it turns out New Testament, not really. Hebrew Bible, definitely not. Um, reason, no, we're not doing we're not doing natural theology experience. Well, we certainly get a lot in the Christian Church about Christ and the Spirit and creation, um, but no talk of hypostatic, you know, processions yeah. and <laughs> der der derivations of the Father and the Son. Um, so he's going to say, well. I think the Christian faith would be the same, even if you didn't have the doctrine of the imminent Trinity. And that's that sort of speculative nature that, that your practice of Christian faith um, does not need to have to do with God as God would have been had God not been the God God is, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's what the doctrine of the imminent Trinity is about for Schleimacher is, trying to think about what God would be like apart from creation, mm. which he thinks just has nothing to do with us. Mm. And it's impossible to think that way anyway, unless you get clear instruction in revelation, which we don't have. Mm. Um, so, so linking him to Calvin and this anti-speculative tradition really is a way of saying, you know, he's not just flippantly, throwing this stuff out, he has uh, some good, some good considered reasons for questioning that doctrine. Yeah. And there's like, you know, when you read that conclusion you, and you draw this out, like, you know, he does point out there are like some problems with the classic Trinitarianism that you do, that like, 
as much as people are trying to say, no, they're not there or we can avoid it this way. He's like, nah, it's just, it's there. It's, it's very hard to get away from a subordination of the son to the father or, or, or other things like that. It's like, um, you know, so that that's, you're right. It's, 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 it's through that uh, as well as through that, like, well, yeah, how much is it touched to our actual experience uh, as Christians, you know, uh, our experience of redemption, which, which brings me then to, I guess, to the, the, another interesting thing is that there's this kind of almost this pastoral, reasoning behind Schleiermacher's positioning of the Trinity. Um, you write, I've got a couple of quotes here that you write, the great mystery of the Christian faith ought to be the fact of the divine good pleasure toward creation rather than a set of conceptual difficulties. And you also write, in part, Schleiermacher concludes rather than begins with the Trinity because he wants to show how one might maintain the essential aspects of the doctrine of the Trinity without espousing it in its traditional form. And, you know, I've, I've worked in churches, I've preached sermons and, you know, nothing gets people like either tuned out or confused or worried <laughs> um, as much as bringing up, let's talk about the Trinity, you know, yeah. um, and because it is, you know, and, and so Schleimacher in some ways saying like, look, no, you can have a vibrant Christian faith uh, and a robust Christian ethic and we can have the church and we can have all this uh, and, and you don't have to worry that you can't um, remember how many O's and O's and you know, you know, like it's, it's what, what should matter is what we experience in that divine good pleasure and not like what we can cognitively wrestle with in terms of this as what God would be without creation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really nicely put that it's a pastoral concern. Um, I mean, we know Schleiermacher as the founder of modern theology, but he was also a pastor of a church and a chaplain at a hospital and, um, was mingling with folks who were not in the church, you know, the cultured despisers who were his best mm. friends. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think thinking about it pastorally there is right, that he's he's trying to um, make it possible for people to see the Christian faith not as a series of intellectual problems that have to be overcome, but as a, a deep and profound um, faith about g- who God is, that God is love. Um, and that, that is, that is the true mystery of faith and not, uh, okay, we've got three hypostases, uh, which really, you know, in Latin would be subsistences, which in Aristotelian, you know, means this and, uh, this is how they're related and, you know, all of this stuff, which normal Christians are just like, what is going on? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and even, you know, I think among scholars, it's, it's not as though everyone has a clear grasp of the doctrine of the imminent Trinity. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty widely, um, widely recognized that what we have in Chalcedon is not a clear explanation of the doctrine. We have a set of grammatical rules for speaking about Trinity. We don't have uh, a, a clear, mm. a clear description of what it is. So, um, so I don't think it's just normal Christians who are to blame here. Um, yeah. It's also scholars who, who will, who will not be able to explain it, um, you know, clearly. Mm. So, so, so to me, I think, um, reading Schleiermacher, you know, the great mystery of our faith ought to be how, how could God possibly love us the way God does? 
or how what great wisdom God has in creating the world this way or some you know mm. how is it that we can extend and receive grace what if yeah. those were the great mysteries of our faith and not how can we say three in one <laughs> yes you know Yes, totally. I'd much rather listen to, you know, people come up with good analogies and uh, for for the the depth of the great love or the reception of grace than, I don't know, the yeah, fidget spinners somehow representing the Trinity. <laughs> I have heard that one. Oh, good. You're lucky. Uh, so, <laughs> um, well, you've, you've started to mention love and wisdom, and this obviously is a, a key part in, in your in building your argument in that uh, Schleiermacher talking about the divine attributes of love and wisdom and, and in your argument, causality take a Trinitarian form you know, in their interrelatedness and interdependence. Uh, and, and indeed, you also use them as a kind of a, a, maybe a little way into pushing back on some of Schleiermacher's aversion to personhood language and that maybe he's, he could almost do it more if he wanted to. Um, so, so you have a quote. In your, sorry, in your reading of Schleiermacher, the divine essence is causality, love, and wisdom. And these three structures are mutually intertwined. God is causal activity in relation to the universe, which is motivated or directed by love and perfectly outlined by wisdom, end quote. Uh, can you talk to us a bit about this reading and, and maybe perhaps how it does kind of overcome or, or sneak around some of those problems that Schleiermacher was observing with the way that the imminent Trinity had been given to him? Yeah. Um, so what I'm offering is really... Um, I'm calling it the doctrine of the essential Trinity and it's derived from Schleiermacher's work. Um, and some parts of it, he actually does say, but then I sort of go a little bit beyond him as well. So he definitely develops a doctrine of the economic Trinity throughout the entire work. Um, and then at the end, as we've mentioned, he talks about the very essence of God, the very inmost being of God is love and love is connected to wisdom. You can't have one without the other. Um, and then also in the very beginning of his work, he talks about what God means, what that word God means. I mean, he says the basic meaning of that is the whence of creation, that God is the, the responsible, basically. God is responsible for um, everything that is. And so he says at the end that divine love and wisdom uh, could be substitutes for that name God. Um, and in the beginning, he says, whence really is what the word God means. So I bring those together and say, um, you know, that in addition to his doctrine of the economic trinity that he develops throughout the work, he also is sort of... Um, offering at the end there in the conclusion, the climax of his work, um, the, the motivation um, for the economy of salvation. So God creates, redeems, perfects, sustains, um, sanctifies, whatever words we want to use there. Well, why does God do that? Without an answer to that question, you really don't know who God is. So the doctrine of the essential trinity is a way of saying, this is who God is. God creates, redeems, sustains because God loves. How does God do that? <laughs> or why is it that the world looks this way? Well, because God is wisdom. And this is the way that God's love could be manifest um, most perfectly. 
Um, and then, well, who is God again? You know, well, God is the one that's responsible for all of this um, and does it in a loving and wise way. Um, and so this doctrine of the essential Trinity, I'm saying, gives you more than the doctrine of the economic Trinity alone, because you're really talking about the essence of God, the inmost being of God. Um, but it's not the doctrine of the imminent Trinity because it's clearly derived from the economy of salvation. And we're not talking about God as God would be apart from creation. We're talking about if we see the economy of salvation, creation, redemption, and sanctification, then what kind of God does that? A God who loves redeems. A God who is wise creates things the way, this way so that a love can, can come about and that sort of thing. So, um, so the doctrine of the essential Trinity doesn't have some of the problems of the doctrine of the imminent Trinity because, for instance, on the subordination issue, um, you don't have the wisdom being derived from love or love being derived from causality. Instead, the relations between those are based on um, the meaning they have from the economy of salvation. So what does love mean? Well, you're going to have to go read some Jesus, you know, or, <laughs> and, and so, so the concepts and, and then the way that love and wisdom are going to be related to one another is not on a conceptual level that if you are loving, you must be wise, no. Um, but in the economy of salvation, we see that these are connected. Um, and so those, those concepts are, are not genetically related um, as in the doctrine of the imminent Trinity, but they are co-inhering based on the economy of salvation. Yeah, I think, and, 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 and similar, like, you know, you talk about how they also, you know, they contain that, that a dynam, dynamism that points toward activity rather than substance, you know, that, that, that yeah, exactly. And again, that's getting away from this kind of God outside of that economy of salvation. No, it's still pointing to the activity of God to, to redeem and, and create and all that, but it's, uh, it has that agility then to point toward that movement, which I think necessarily maybe has implications for how we think about the community then that is formed um, by God and, and by the spirit of Christ, that, that, that it maybe should be more uh, built around activity and movement than necessarily um, stasis. Uh, yeah. 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 And, you know, theologians before Schleiermacher have talked about God as activity. So it's not as though he didn't read Thomas Aquinas, you know, who talks about yeah. <laughs> pure activity or something. Mm. But he does give us, I think, a different set of uh, terms and names for God that, um, yeah, that have you less thinking about three persons, like we would think of person, you know, you've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, somewhere out there, I guess, um, yeah. <laughs> outside of creation. I don't know how they could be out there because that would be in creation. But anyway, um, you, you do have in your mind sort of um, two dudes and a yeah. force. <laughs> um, but if you talk about love and wisdom and, and causality or activity or the source of life, um, then you're much more likely to try to look for God uh, not out there kind of sometimes coming into the world and doing things and then leaving again. Mm. Um, but you're more likely to see divine love in the love 
of a parent with a child or in the love mm. of friends with one another or the love of lovers or mm. in the wisdom of uh, a wise uh, community that's doing something skillfully in their neighborhood or yeah so to, yeah. to begin to see the divine in in the world um, rather than a sort of otherworldly uh, mm. transcendence that's not connected to the world in a sustained way. I think that's helpful too because even like you know we so quickly fall into you know if you take that creation redeemer redemption um, sanctification or, or sustaining or whatever it is it's so easy to be like okay well God the Father is the one who creates uh, Christ is the one who redeems and the Spirit is one you know it's just so quick that even when we think of you know the way you hear often you know benedictions at the end of, and blessings at the end of a thing you kind of assign that but again if you're thinking well all are involved you know if it's love and wisdom and causality it's like you're not like saying one agent of that, one person of that is responsible for one of those. Um, and thus, you know, in some ways, thank God that Jesus came along because before that we didn't have the grace and the things right. like that. And, you know, you get into a whole lot of yeah. problems. Um, and in this way, yes, you can see much more of all of God involved in all of the economy of salvation in that way. Yeah, yeah. So the doctrine of appropriations is out. Um, and that really, I think, it does exactly what you said. It allows for... Um, people to see that the whole God is there at creation and the whole God at redemption and the whole God in sanctification and that, that you can't sort of separate out, um, separate out the activities or, you know, we have perichoresis then um, firmly entrenched in the mind rather than yes, perichoresis, but also doctrine of appropriations. Well, (laughs) yeah. I'm wondering, and like, this is like, I'm trying to form this question on the fly and, and, and it might not work out, but I'm thinking about like, you know, we, you, as you say, all of, all of it's there at the creation and we're not, we're getting away from that appropriations. Then, you know, how that potentially changed, you know, reading all of scripture, um, you know, both new Testament and, and old Testament Hebrew Bible and, um, and thinking about, you know, you know, it all being more, much more like not a, as much of a shift. Um, and then I'm thinking about, you know, one of the, often leveled critiques of, of Schleiermacher is the treatment of, of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible and, or, you know, treatment or dismissal or <laughs> ignoring of, I'm not sure like what, what word to put in there and whether this like almost whether Schleiermacher was fully aware of it or like, you know, that, that this potential for really transforming the, the full reading of scripture. I'm yeah. Sure. That's an interesting question. He definitely is critiqued rightfully for his treatment of um, Hebrew Bible and Judaism, um, calling it a dead religion and, um, all of these, uh, horrible things to say. Um, and you know, there are things we can say about his context that would help us understand why he said that sort of thing, um, that many of his friends were Jewish and that's what they were saying about their own tradition. Of course, you can say something about your own family <laughs> that you don't want other people to say about your family. You know, you can identify your own crazy uncle or whatever, but mm-hmm. you don't want other people to point him out for you <laughs> and, put, and put it in print. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, one of the things I appreciate about Schleiermacher's reading of Hebrew Bible is that he does not want to read Jesus back into the Hebrew Bible. So he mm. doesn't want to read Isaiah and see the suffering servant as right. Jesus. Yep. He's going to say, well, no, that was, you know, the, the Davidic King or whoever it was that they were talking about. Um, but it wasn't Jesus. 
Um, and so by, by rejecting the doctrine of the imminent Trinity and its connection with the doctrine of the economic Trinity, he really is able to get away from some of that supersessionist mm. uh, taking over of the Old, Old Testament um, and bringing it into the new. And instead, he gives the Hebrew Bible its own integrity. Mm. Um, so for all of the bad things that he says about Judaism and Hebrew Bible, um, he does at least allow readers to give the Hebrew Bible its integrity and read it maybe as Jewish people would have read it, hmm. not through Christian lenses. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Thank, thank you for that. So obviously we've been, we've been centering a lot on the, the early part of your book and the, the later part of the Christian faith. Um, but, you know, if you want to talk about Schleiermacher, I guess eventually you have to kind of start thinking about God consciousness and, and this whole idea that he starts to develop that. You know, we, we, again, in that, in that Schleiermacher reading group, I mean, we were talking one time of, if he had come up with a different term that sounded more pious, would, would like how much would have the reading of Schleiermacher changed if he had just like called it faith? <laughs> I don't know, like or something. Yeah. Like, if you just kept it a bit, bit more simple, so it didn't sound as as, as outside of the realm. But uh, but anyway, so you got to talk about God consciousness. But I think it's really interesting how in the third part of your book you kind of address this idea directly with a particular attention to Schleiermacher's aversion to anthropomorphism. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about this connection and how maybe this this emphasis on God consciousness uh, and, and the feeling of ultimate dependence links to the classic reformed focus of salvation by by grace alone? Yeah. Yeah, I do leave God consciousness to the end. Um, and I'm just pushing back on the literature that's so consumed with God consciousness. And it is, of course, a very important concept um, and it's foundational to what he's doing. Um, but it's important, I think, to realize that he derives that notion of God consciousness from, uh, from one's reception of redemption in Christ uh, and the Spirit. Um, so God consciousness just means an immediate awareness of one's absolute dependence on God. And if you break that down in terms in the economy of salvation terms, then what that means is in creation, you didn't do anything to get here. You're absolutely <laughs> dependent on God for, for your part in this world. And creation indeed as a whole is dependent upon God for its existence and sustenance. Mm. Then you look at Jesus and you say, Christ is for Schleiermacher, um, the, the one that uh, the entirety of creation up to that point was preparing for. Um, and, and God had this, you know, going <laughs> from the beginning that Christ was, uh, was to be there in the center. Um, and again, this was an act of grace, um, that it, it wasn't, uh, you know, for Schleimacher as though things were going along creation-wise and then everybody mucked it up. And God has to then intervene and create Jesus to set things right. Um, and in that way, human beings sort of precipitate uh, the action of God in, in providing for redemption. No, for Schleiermacher, Christ was part of the plan, <laughs> you know, from yeah, the beginning. Yeah. Um, and that creation and redemption for him really are of a piece. Mm. Um, and 
Um, and so Christ too is, you are absolutely dependent on God for Christ. Not even your sin caused God to give you something uh, that mm. God would not otherwise have done. Mm. Um, and then the same thing could be said for the church um, and the spirit of Christ that lives in the church that continues um, to bring Christ's influence to those um, who, who encounter it. Um, so, so yeah, God consciousness, when you read it in the beginning, you're thinking, what, what is this God consciousness, you know? Um, but by the end, you can see what does that actually mean? It means, it means that at every step of the way, um, in the economy of salvation, you don't get to claim that you <laughs> were, yeah. were the reason why any of this happened, mm. um, that you are absolutely dependent. And that's just what grace is, that creation is a gift. Redemption is a gift. Sanctification is a gift. And, and you don't get to um, say that it's because of, because of your action or inaction or, um, or what have you. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you for that. That's so helpful. Uh, so, so you know, you, appealing to Schleiermacher as a Trinitarian theologian and appealing to him as helping us rethink the, um, the Trinity, you know, has some positive, constructive implications for some of the contemporary conversations that are going on, particularly around climate change, climate emergencies, sustainability, things like that. So you talk about that a bit in, in, in this book, but you've also got an edited volume on Schleiermacher and sustainability, um, so can you just talk to us a little bit about, about, you know, that, how, how, how this whole wisdom, love and causality and, and, and all that ends up being like how we can actually help us as a resource in, in, in formulating Christian responses to, to the current climate emergency. Yeah. So, um, that edited volume, Schleimacher and Sustainability really was a sort of, um, a project that I wanted to develop because I had not paid attention to the thing in Schleiermacher that he thought was so important. You know, he put creation, the doctrine of creation at the beginning um, and God's, God's relationship to the world in the beginning because of his own context um, and Newtonian science that was, you know, beginning and the modern university and how does uh, theology fit into a scientific frame of view and and so he in his work on miracles and um the borrowing propositions from other p other parts of uh, the university and bringing them into his um, introduction he's doing a lot of work there um in terms of talking about the harmony between faith and science um that i didn't really attend to in the essential trinitarianism book um and so I wanted to do that then in the Schleimark and sustainability work and was able to bring together a number of top scholars who, were, who look at various uh, doctrines, not just the doctrine of the Trinity, but various portions of, of his work in order to see how they might, um, how his thoughts might be useful for those concerned with climate justice today. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. I'm just wondering if there's any parallel between Schleiermacher who finishes the Christian faith and then goes, actually, I better write an, a good essay about uh, Sabellianism and the, and the Trinity because <laughs> I kind of didn't do that enough. And you're finishing your book. And like, actually, let me go back and do this one one extra thing. You know, right. to, to help. 
Uh, so you've got so there's those two books, and then you know I want to draw attention our, our listeners' attention to you've got another book coming out on Schleiermacher again in uh, July 2021 uh, with called The Constructive Promise of Schleiermacher's Theology, and it's going to come out with Bloomsbury TNT Clark series of uh, rethinking theology. So can you talk to us a little bit about about this and what what you're hoping to achieve with this book and uh, how it's been like trying to finish that off in the middle of a pandemic? I guess is the other yeah. question I'm curious about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about the new book. I've just um, sent it off, so it should be out in about a year. Um, And this was really, um, so people always ask me, you know, I'm at the gym or I'm walking around campus and my friends from psychology or English or whatever, they say, why do you like Schleiermacher so much? Because I'm just always talking about Schleiermacher, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Um, or, or friends or family, why do you, why do you spend all your days thinking about Schleiermacher? Um, and so this book, The Constructive Promise of Schleiermacher's Theology, is really my attempt to answer that question. Mm. Um, so I'm looking at the ways that uh, Schleiermacher's thought resonates with and can um, advance conversations around social justice. Oh, um, so I'm looking at feminist theology and womanist theology, queer theology, um, a little bit of Muharista theology and eco-theology, kind of dipping my toes into these um, these other fields, not just Schleiermacher studies, but yeah. uh, but sort of con- people working constructively. Um, and I want to say Schleiermacher actually was so ahead of his time on a number of doctrinal um, issues. Mm. So for example, uh, womanist theologians, many of them um, are not content with a doctrine of the atonement that sees Christ on the cross as a surrogate figure, a, a substitutionary atonement um, that might reify black women's uh, surrogacy roles um, and keep them in positions where they're being oppressed and um, taken advantage of, exploited. And so um, Schleiermacher, too, uh, you know, amazingly says some of the same, not the same things about um, black women, but his doctrine of redemption, his, his theory of redemption is quite, um, quite useful for womanist theologians. Um, so I draw out things like that with feminism and, and womanism and um, others to try to show the ways that Schleiermacher uh, doesn't need to stay on our shelves as the founder of, Christian, you know, Protestant <laughs> <Yeah>. liberal <laughs> theology or modern theology. Um, no, actually, he says a lot of things that um, that we should pay attention to. Not just God consciousness. He has a, a bunch yeah. of doctrines that he um, that he's really really good on. I think. And so, so I talk about Trinity. I talk about um, Christ and redemption, and then. Mm church and spirit um and creation god and creation as well so i kind of hit those this big doctrinal loci and um and try to offer ways that he can advance the conversation and be corrected by contemporary voices that sounds so exciting so we'll definitely get you back on sometime in the latter half of 2021 uh and and talk about that more and everyone should keep their eyes out for it but while you wait prime yourself 
by picking up a copy of Essential Trinitarianism, Schleiermacher as Trinitarian Theology. Now with TNT Clark, you can get the paperback version now, uh, which brings the cost down a bit. And it's a, a it's such a rich book. Like it truly is like I, I, I almost all our questions were from a couple of chapters here, really, because there's just so much in them and I could we could have gone all over the place. So it's really, if you ever wanted to try to rethink Schleiermark or try to understand why he might be worth reading and not just um, dismissed because, you know, another German said he should be dismissed. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's good or actually maybe more so a bunch of Americans who read the second German said he should be dismissed. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just an excellent book. And I think, yeah, you should definitely check it out, get it for yourself and tell your, tell your local theological library to pick it up. Uh, Shelley, thank you for, for joining us. Is there anything else you want to uh, shout out? Anything other ways people can connect with you? Or is it just keep those up, keep the eye out for the other book? Keep the eye out for the other book. And I've got other stuff coming out as well. But That's I just great. thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. And it's been a pleasure. Uh, Shelley Poe, thank you very much for joining us today. 